restrictive level. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday, the 1st of December. And welcome to a special edition of Money Talk on Radio 3. In about 20 minutes' time, we'll be launching our annual charity auction in aid of Operation Santa Claus 2022. It's a 24-hour online auction with lots of fabulous items donated by local companies and organisations that you can bid for. And all the money we raise over the next 24 hours will go to the 15 amazing charities that every day are helping the needy of Hong Kong. You can take a look right now at the items you can bid for when the auction opens at 8.25 and you can register to bid in advance. And even if you don't want to bid on any of the items, you can still make a donation to Operation Santa Claus. And you do that by either going to the Radio 3 homepage, www.rthk.hk forward slash Radio 3, or the Money Talk Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, and click the link to the auction website. On today's Money Talk, Tim Huxley, Chairman of Mandarin Shipping, will be helping us to launch the auction. Before that, Wealth Management Strategist Enzio von File will review some of the day's business and finance headlines. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3 on Wall Street, US stocks ended a three-day losing streak and clawed back all of their Monday and Tuesday declines after Fed Chairman Jerome Powell signaled smaller rate increases ahead. The S&P 500 added 3.1% to 4,080, taking its gains for the month of November to 5.4%. The Dow surged 737 points, or 2.2%, to 34,590. For the month, it was up 5.7%. And the Dow is up over 20% now from its early October lows, putting it back in the new bull market. The Nasdaq Composite jumped 4.4% to 11,468 for a monthly rise of 4.4%. The Pan-European Stock 600 index rose 0.6% overnight, leaving it with a monthly gain of 6.8%, and the FTSE 100 rose 6.7% in November. Hong Kong stocks ended Wednesday firmer at the end of a very strong month. The Hang Seng Index added 393 points, or 2.2%, to 18,597. For the month of November, it gained 26.6%. That's the best month since October 1998. The tech index jumped 2.8% following a 7.7% surge on Tuesday. And for the month, it's up over 33%. Chinese stocks in Hong Kong also rose with the Hang Seng China Enterprises Index recording its best month since 2003 with a gain of over 29%. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite climbed 0.1% to 3,151, taking its gain for the month of November to almost 9%. In the commodities markets, crude oil is down five out of the last six months. Brent crude oil settled at $86.97 a barrel. That's down over 8% on the month. 
Copper rose 12% in November and gold had its best month since July 2020, gaining over 8%. And it's trading this morning at $1,773 an ounce. Treasury yields were lower on the month. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield dropped 43 basis points in November to to 3.61%. And the US dollar was dramatically lower in November for its worst month in 13 years. The US dollar index fell 0.8% on the day and is down 5% on the month. The euro this morning trading at $1.04. The buck's at 137.38 Japanese yen. Sterling is worth $1.20.5 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 43 cents. Onshore Chinese yuan rallied 3% in November to 7.08 and three quarters. Offshore yuan is at 7.04 this morning. And Bitcoin rallied 4%, back above $17,000 today. Its highest level in three weeks, but it did have an ugly month. It's down 16% in November. And taking a look around the Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, all looking very strong. In Australia, the SX200 is already up 1.2%. Moments after opening in Tokyo, the Nikkei 225 up 1.7%. The Cosby in South Korea is up 0.9%. And looks like we're going to see a massive surge in the Hang Seng Index at the open of about 600 points. Let's welcome our regular Thursday morning commentator, wealth management strategist, Enzio von Farr. Morning to you, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. Um, I want to start by looking at some of this PMI data that we had out of China overnight. The manufacturing PMI, that fell to 48 uh, from Um, 49.2. That's the second straight month of contraction in factory activity and the steepest pace Uh, since April. The non-manufacturing PMI came in at 46.7. That's also down from 48.7 the prior month. Also missed analyst estimates. And that was also the second straight month of contraction in the services sector and the steepest pace since April. It does look like, Enzio, doesn't it, that both manufacturing and non-manufacturing activity slipping deeper into contraction. Yes, and that's why I just cannot understand why some houses say that next year China will grow between 4 and 5%. I, I, there's something missing in my um, brain on this one. Um, I actually think, as we all do, that obviously the, the culprit has to be the COVID lockdowns. Namura reckons that partial lockdowns and travel restrictions account for 25% of the overall economy. But then I would add to that, once you add everything else in, the multiplier effects, the, the ricochet effects of these of this 25%, you come up to 100%. So I don't, whilst I understand where she is going with the health side of this, um, I just, I I, I can't as an economist say this is all tickety-boo. So do you think any of the measures that have been announced recently, such as this 20-point plan to try and ease COVID restrictions, the, the property market stimulus, the triple R cut, is that all going to help, particularly when you've sort of the cumulative effect of that? Absolutely not. Once you get into a negative momentum, into a negative vortex, things just continue. The, the central bank, as we may recall, just last Friday, decided that banks have to have less cash reserves at the central bank. No good, say I, because until you, it's a bit like driving a car, the prime, uh, to, trying to prime the economy with a handbrake. 
In other words, the COVID lockdowns, mm. and you, it's just going to lurch from, from rally to rally, but uh, on a downward trend in my mind. So what do you think will get the Chinese economy out of this, uh, this funk that it's in? I think two steps. First of all, the allowance of, of foreign um, jabs to come in because they seem to be more effective to especially get that 80% of the elderly who've not been um, inoculated yet. And then once that has been settled down, then they can start opening up a little bit, very, very slowly, because we realize that there are many, many people in China. We get all that. But I think it has to be a phased reduction, a phased increase in the jabs and a phased reduction in the lockdowns themselves and basically just with a view to removing them. It is a bit confusing, isn't it, where this is going? Because on the yes. one hand... We do see signs that uh, maybe these restrictions are being eased. They were in Guangzhou overnight. Mm. But then at the same time, the state council and other authorities keep on insisting that zero COVID is here to stay. So what are we to make of that? That the local policy implementation isn't quite what Beijing wants, perhaps. I know we know that in the FT headlines and the South China headlines, a lot of the local provincial governments have been blamed for perhaps too harshly implementing. This could have been that the, that the Guangdong government or indeed the Guangzhou government said we want to ease restrictions. So I'm not aware of what Beijing is saying to that. What about, you know, we, we had some really good years, haven't we, for the China economy before oh, yes. COVID struck. Do you think we can ever get back to that sort of growth that we used to see, you know, 5% plus per annum? Or has China's economy sort of fundamentally changed, structurally changed? Fundamentally slowed down, I'd say. The way that economists tend to measure growth, potential growth is productivity plus growth in the labor force. Well, productivity is going to grow by about 0.7% and the labor force by about 0.5% because they're, they're already peaking in the demographics. So my guess is 1% to 2% growth will be what we have to look at going forward. Now, turning our attention to the U.S., which obviously mm. does have an, an impact on this region, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell did signal the Fed will slow the pace of rate rises next month. He said the time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as the December meeting. Um, but he also cautioned that despite October's inflation reports, which was lower than expected, uh, it's going to take substantially more evidence to give comfort that inflation is actually declining. And he warned uh, that while inflation forecasts pointed to a significant decline over the next year, he said the truth is the path ahead for inflation remains highly uncertain and the Fed hadn't yet seen clear progress of slow inflation. A bit of a mixed message there, isn't it? A bit like China with the COVID policy. It's, it's, it's Powell's COVID, Powell's, Powell's inflation is China's COVID. It keeps on coming back to that. There's, there's just confusion. The first one is what inflation is he really referring to? We know that traders went wild when there was a CPI, uh, less CPI around, but then actually we decided in our research, and we said this a couple of weeks ago, suggested that there are other rates of inflation, the per capita expenditure index and the underlying inflation rate that actually are probably more the policy variables that he mm. thinks that inflation is going to significantly slow, I most certainly disagree with because of a tight oil price, tight labor markets, a probable rail strike in America that's going to affect 40% 
of the U.S. economy, what I call fishy chips. In other words, not obviously the stuff we all love to eat, but the um, semiconductors, because if the U.S. does actually effectively restrict Chinese access to Americans' world-class technology, then you'll see that the cost of producing the lower-class chips rises, and that's going to go, go straight through to the consumer to pay. So it doesn't sound like you're really a believer that the Fed, in any sort of time frames, imminent time frames, going to get uh, inflation down to its target of 2%. Yeah, because I, again, we don't know which inflation rate they mean. And also, I don't think that I don't see 2% at all. I see maybe 4 or 5% on mm. an aggregate basis on the CPI. And what about oil? We've seen oil and other commodities prices start to come down this month. Do you think that's going to help? I don't think so, because the Russians are known to be shooting themselves in the foot. They may weaponize oil. There's some... Um, there's a lot of talk about a price cap being introduced on Russian oil exports. Tim Huxley will know more about that. And I would say, though, that the Kremlin wants to weaponize the oil, just like it's weaponized the gas by just withdrawing the supply of oil, perhaps to cut its nose off to spite its face. I don't know. But the result of that is going to be a firmer oil price, not a lower oil price, especially in this seasonal winter chill. Okay, well, we've had a good month for markets. Markets seem to be brushing off all of these concerns uh, that, that you have, particularly here um, in, in Asia. The MSCI Asia Pacific jumped 14% this month. Mm. The Hang Seng led the way to almost 27% uh, gain over the month. If you look at the NASDAQ Golden Dragon Index of Chinese shares listed in the US, up 42% mm. in November, the biggest gain um, on record. And even elsewhere around the region, Taiwan, Philippine stocks, all had good months. They all seem to be ignoring all this bad news. Yes, and I would just say that in Sun Tzu's war strategy, you always have to have a better exit strategy than an entry strategy. I, whilst my, I, I fully agree with my fund management friends that they have to go with the flow. They can't be stick in the muds like I am. At the same time, they have to really be in liquid stocks to get out once the bad news starts hitting um, I think that I call them wobbly rallies because the world growth keeps slowing China's economic disasters. Martin Luther King had a wonderful speech called I Have a Dream. That was back in the 60s. And I think this is also these market rallies are a dream. They're a chimera. And I'm afraid that bad news is going to hit us come early in the first quarter of the new year. Oh, dear. OK, well, we look forward to talking to you <laughs> further this year and into the new year as well. That's Thank you. our regular yes. Thursday commentator. Wealth Management Strategist, Enzio von Feuer. The time is 8.17 and we're joined now by Tim Huxley, who is Chairman of Mandarin Shipping. Very good morning to you, Tim. Thanks for joining us once again. Morning, Peter. Great to be here again. Well, look, we're going to ask you shortly to open um, our charity auction in, operation, in aid of Operation Santa Claus. Before that, let's talk a little bit of business and particularly shipping and, and maritime um, issues. Tell me a little bit about how the, uh, the, the maritime industry in Hong Kong is coping with, uh, you know, recession in Hong Kong, closed borders, disruptions to supply supply chains in mainland China because of zero sort of COVID? What, what sort of impact is it having? For Hong Kong, uh, the shipping industry, it's come through this year. It's been a pretty good year for shipping in general. Uh, but within Hong Kong, you know, we have really suffered from uh, the travel restrictions. Uh, this Hong Kong, it's very much always been a not just a ship-owning centre, but also a shipping services centre. Mm -hmm. And the restrictions on travel, both people coming in and out, has 
really restricted us. I mean, there are certain sectors that Hong Kong is a world leader in, like, for instance, ship management. That's the technical management of ships, mm. putting crews on board, arranging the spares, or everything outside of the commercial management. And to do that, you need to get on board ships. Mm. Now, we've got the two biggest ship managers in the world based in Hong Kong. And they're not just based here. They were founded here you know, on our maritime tradition, which is you know, something that we can all be incredibly proud of. But for those companies, it's been a really difficult year getting people around. So, and, and that's hampered growth. And, you know, I was talking, but people still want to do business in Hong Kong. People want to come here. I was talking yesterday to a, a British company that specializes in implementing ESG systems in companies, which we all have to do. And, uh, you know, they see a massive market in Asia and they wanted to be based in Hong Kong. So they looked to set up an office in Hong Kong. But uh, that needed opening a bank account. And that required, the bank in Hong Kong required them to have all their directors appear mm -hmm. in person at the bank. And that would have meant a three-week quarantine beforehand. Can't their reaction happen. was, I'll <laughs> see you in... Happen. No, and their reaction <laughs> it was, I'll see you in Singapore. So, you know, we've got to get those basics in line to, mm -hmm. to make Hong Kong a really attractive place. Because we've got the people, we've got the history, and we've got the skill set here uh, to really make this and to really be world leaders in some of the things that are going to be the big challenges like you know the green revolution in shipping mm -hmm. uh, and you know and there are and for some of the hong kong companies i mean you take you know again another of our homegrown ship owners pacific basin who run 250 ships i mean they had um, their first half profits this year were half a billion us dollars which is a record yeah uh, i mean yeah and <laughs> yeah, dear old shipping company you always think well you know that's an old fashioned industry these guys are beating tech hands down this year. So, so it's still, despite then the downturn, this is still a pillar industry for Hong Kong, one of its key industries. It is, but you've got to nurture it and you can't stand still. And every time anybody in the shipping industry in Hong Kong gets on an aeroplane, we're selling Hong Kong. But you can't rest on your laurels and you've got to be flexible and we've got to really be adapt, to adapt and really make a big effort to attract people to come here and with best way to attract people to come here get them to visit i've stood at a stood at a bar with uh, visitors to hong kong and i persuaded individuals to relocate here and companies to move here we've got a story to tell but it's down to mm. the people who have made a success of living in hong kong to get out there and tell it it's not about government incentives there is more competition out there isn't there we're, we're facing challenges from shanghai and singapore and ningbo and sort of all over the place how, how are we sort of facing up um to, to those challenges our maritime services industry has uh, taken a knock over the years. And we, we are challenged from all over the world. And this is in part down to the ease of communications now. I mean, you know, you can do uh, a deal in uh, Europe from Hong Kong very easily uh, with, uh, you know, in the old days of having to fire up a telex machine or book a phone, book an international phone call. They're long gone. Communication is instant. But Hong Kong does have huge advantages still. I mean, I sold several ships this year. And the lawyers, the financiers, the registry and everything, they were all within 15 minutes walk of my office. Mm -hmm. That just made doing the deal so easy, even though the buyer was in Europe. So ease of doing business is still here. But We've got, a, we've got a lot of areas we've got to improve, and we've really got to focus on those. So Paul Chatton said over the weekend when he wrote on his blog um, that the way forward for the shipping industry is, is high-value-added um, services. Well, first of all, what, what does he mean by that? What, what, what in particular is, is he thinking about? Well, 
there are certain areas where we are still pretty good, like, like as I say, ship management. And things like uh, uh, certain specialist areas of marine insurance, like liability insurance. A lot of companies base their regional offices in Hong Kong and service the whole of Asia. So that's an area we're actually really good at. Mm-hmm. We're good at uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the legal side. Dispute resolution is difficult, and that's an area we've got to really go and try and sell. I mean, if I'm talking to a Greek ship owner and I say, well, let's have uh, arbitration and dispute resolution in Hong Kong, they're nervous. They'd much sooner go with what they know, which is London. Hmm. So we've got a lot of work to do on selling that. Okay, well, let's turn our attention to Operation Santa Claus, because that's what uh, we're going to launch in a moment, our charity auction. Let me tell you a bit about Operation Santa, uh, Santa Claus. It's an annual charity campaign jointly run by the South China Morning Post and RTHK with the aim of making a difference to our community. This year is the 35th anniversary and since 1988 we've raised more than 353 million Hong Kong dollars for 323 charities. This year, we're supporting 15 charities, ranging from those with physical and mental disabilities, aid for youth and children, and some for the environment. And our aim is to support local charities in their efforts to alleviate their running costs and to provide aid for them, and, of course, to create a better living environment for for those vulnerable communities in need. You've you've been involved several times, haven't you, over the years with with Operation Santa Claus? I have, Peter, and, uh, you know, it's a a great institution, and it's, uh, you know, part of Hong Kong Christmas. And uh, one of the things I've always really uh, liked and appreciated about Operation Santa Claus and the organisers, how much attention they pay to some of these smaller charities that often sort mm-hmm. of fall between the cracks and don't get a fair crack of it. So I think that a lot of the causes that have been supported over the years have been absolutely fantastic. And so I really hope that this year is going to be a, a, another big success and something that we can all be proud of. Yeah, I've, I've interviewed some of those people over the years from various uh, various charities that we support, and they all tell me how important it is, mm. the money they get from Operation Santa Claus, to help them continue the work they're doing and, and to grow and develop into new areas. Absolutely. And, and this has been a pretty tough year for charities. And obviously, as a recession looms, uh, you know, people's ability to donate uh, is slightly restricted. So it is, it is all... It's more important than ever uh, for these charities to get themselves in the spotlight. Because for them, you know, if you get nominated as an Operation Santa Claus charity, that's the, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. You're, that's a real sort of, um, you know, uh, real real boost to you for going forward into the next year. And so this this is why this is such an important uh, event and a big uh, and let's hope it's another great success I and mean, the, the total amount raised over the years has been phenomenal it's been amazing hasn't it 353 million dollars hong kong dollars we're going to do our bit this morning yes our indeed. online charity auction is now open and it's open for 24 hours until 8:25 tomorrow morning the way um, you go and see the auction is you go to our radio 3 homepage www.rthk.hk forward slash radio 3 click on the operation center clause link or if you prefer go to the money talk facebook page money talk on rthk radio 3 click on the link there and that will take you to the auction website where you can see all the wonderful items. They've all been donated by local businesses and organisations for us to auction in aid of Operation Santa Claus. All the money we raise uh, will go to Operation Santa Claus. If you don't want to bid for any of the items, um, you can always make a donation. There is a link there where you just make a donation instead. Choose how much you want to donate 
Tim, tell us a little bit about some of the things that are up there at the moment uh, on the auction website. Well, uh, what sort of one of the things that sort of immediately jumps out because it's something we haven't really been able to do for three years. Uh, two business class tickets to Tokyo Narita, uh, donated by our flag carrier Cathay Pacific. Uh, they're valid for the whole of next year, so hopefully there'll be even less restrictions then. And uh, I think look, going to Japan is something that so many people have really looked forward to. And so that's uh, uh, too good time to do it. As well, isn't it? The yen is very low. You can yes, get a lot of, lot of yen, yen for your Hong Kong dollar. So. Great time to go. I mean, I'm certainly looking forward to going back to Japan. Uh, so that's two business class tickets on Cafe. Uh, we also have another great venue in Hong Kong, four-course dinner for six at Crown Wine Cellars. Uh, if you've not been there, that's that's a historic landmark uh, over on Hong Kong Island. Um, the, and that's the former World War II underground bunker. Mm. Uh, a really atmospheric place and uh, fabulous food and obviously fantastic wine is oh. available there. And Crown so, Wine Cellars have always been a big supporter of Operation Santa Claus and this auction in particular they, over the years. They have indeed. I mean, great, great organisation, great location. And uh, uh, it's always very special to sort of go to that, uh, well, it's a UNESCO heritage site, the bunkers up there. Mm. And uh, fab, fab, really unique uh, opportunity that and then also we have uh, you know if you want to sort of stay in Hong Kong or you, that or we've got a nights at the Kowloon Shangri-La uh, which one of my favorite hotels because great restaurants there uh, so uh, that's also there uh, two people it's a, you know a quick staycation in Simsa Choi East I mean what more <laughs> could you ask for uh, and so that that is also one of the items there and there's a host of other items you know Pampers from the peninsula and everything. It's mm. uh, a really good uh, set of items for you to bid on. I, I always sit and find people get it wrong with auctions. They say prizes. They're not prizes. You've got to buy them. And so <laughs> get in there and get bidding. Uh, and uh, let's let's really try and give Operation Santa Claus a good kickoff uh, and hopefully another record year. Yeah, that'd be great. And just a reminder that everything we raise from this auction will go to the 15 charities that Operation Santa Claus is supporting this year. They all do a huge amount of fantastic work for the local community, the the poor, the needy, the disadvantaged in Hong Kong. So everything uh, we raise is going to a valuable cause, but we need you to bid. If you don't bid and you don't place your bids, then we can't raise any money. And uh, if you register, um, you'll be able to see if anyone outbids you over the next 24 hours. And you can decide if you want to go and raise your bid. Um, and you can also donate as well. If you don't want to bid, just donate some money. Once again, the website, www.rthk.hk forward slash Radio 3. Or go to our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Go and click the link there. So keep an eye on it throughout the day so that you can up your bid accordingly and uh, in the immortal words i think it was noel edmonds you've got to be in it to win it so get bidding <laughs> well tim thank you very much indeed for coming along and helping us with that Always my a pleasure. pleasure peter that's tim huxley who is chairman of mandarin shipping you're listening to money talk on rthk radio 3 just before we go, let me give you a final update uh, on the markets for this morning. The SX200 in Australia is up 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan storming ahead this morning, up 1.5%. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea also up over 1%. And it looks like it's going to be a good day for Hong Kong stocks. Futures markets pointing to a gain uh, of about 600 points at uh, the open this morning. 
Thank you very much for listening. Please do join me again tomorrow from 8 o'clock when we'll be closing the 24-hour charity auction and we'll tell you on air, live, how much we've raised. In the meantime, please keep giving and donating. Stand by for back chat after the news with Janice Wong and Jenny Lamb. Quick update on the weather forecast. Cool, cloudy to overcast, one or two rain patches. Temperatures going to be around 16 degrees during the day. It is going to be rather cool tomorrow morning as well. And then temperatures will rise progressively over the weekend. The temperature right now, 16 degrees, 76% relative humidity. Just gone 8.30. Here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. A senior fellow from a Beijing-based think tank says former President Jiang Zemin will be remembered for overseeing China during a time of impressive economic growth. Mr Jiang died yesterday in Shanghai at the age of 96. Einar Tangen from the Taihe Institute said the former leader was known for being outgoing, willing to engage with others and a departure from the usual stone-faced party member. He said it would be interesting to see how a person of his stature is honoured, given that Xi Jinping has changed the party significantly since since Jiang's era. I do expect him to be fully honored. They don't want to be seen as saying, oh, well, we didn't like this leader, we're going to cast him aside. But it'll be very interesting to see what speeches are made, what essays are written, what is published in things like Choshur, which is the party organ that expresses the thought of the standing committee. So it's yet to be seen, but definitely this will be a solemn occasion. He's part of China's history. And going forward, I mean, he's, he's one of the building blocks if you see where China is today. Two people have died in a, at a fire in a building in Wan Chai in the early hours of this morning. Firefighters were called to Camlock Mansion in Lockhart Road at about three o'clock and took about an hour to put out the blaze. A 30-year-old man was found dead at the scene and a man thought to be in his 50s was declared dead after being rushed to hospital unconscious. The head of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, says the U.S. Central Bank may soon be in a position to begin slowing down the pace of interest rate hikes. Rates have risen by 75 basis points for each of the past four months as the Fed seeks to curb the highest inflation level in four decades. Mr Powell said the higher borrowing costs were having an effect, although hikes are likely to continue. The time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as the December meeting. Given our, price, our progress in tightening policy, the timing of that moderation is far less significant than the questions of how much further we will need to raise rates to control inflation and the length of time it will be necessary to hold policy at a restrictive level. Buckingham Palace has announced the resignation of a member of the household who repeatedly asked a black campaigner against domestic abuse which part of Africa she was from. Ngozi Fulani, who's British, described her encounter at a reception on Tuesday as a violation. The BBC's Sean Coughlin reports. This embarrassing row has blown up after an event at Buckingham Palace, hosted by the Queen Consort, at which a black British guest was repeatedly asked about where she was really from. Ngozi Fulani, who set up a charity for black survivors of domestic violence, had told a royal aide that she was born in the UK and worked in London, but the questioning persisted into whether she was from Africa. A witness described the conversation as offensive and unwelcoming. The palace has responded rapidly. The royal aide involved has stepped down and expressed profound apologies. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong. And I'm Jenny Lam. On today's program to mark World AIDS Day, we're talking about Hong Kong's goal to eradicate AIDS as a public health threat by 2030. The objective was laid out on Tuesday in a five-year strategy released by the Hong Kong Advisory Council on AIDS, in line with a goal set out by the United Nations Programme on HIV and AIDS to end the disease as a public health threat. So far in the first nine months of this year, Hong Kong recorded 307 new HIV infections, of which 53 involved a diagnosis of AIDS. And homosexual contact among men make up a high proportion of AIDS inf- of HIV infections, followed by heterosexual contact and drug use via injection. So what are the main challenges in eradicating AIDS as a public health threat? Can it be done over the next eight years? After 9.15, we'll look at the government's plan to revamp cross-harbour tunnel tolls. So let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RT.